I hope you know how blessed you are. Every day I count my blessings. My, I'm so grateful. You're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step family related. Real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Welcome to episode 237 of the Nacho Kids Podcast. What's up, y'all? What's up, Buttercup? Wide open. Always. You haven't been here the last few, David. I know, because I'm wide open. (laughs) (laughs) True, true. Crazy times during the Christmas season. Yep. Is the season for show. Well, when this releases, it is a very special day. What's that? Your oldest son is closing on his house. <laughs> that is a very special day. <laughs> it's move out day. Yes. And we will soon be adding a course to the Nacho Kids Academy about when your stepkids boomerang and bring a spouse and a child. And a cat. (laughs) And a cat. And I mention this not only because I'm excited that they found a house, but also when you hear the screaming in the background of this podcast, you'll know why. Yep. That's right. And I'm not sure which grandkid it was. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So we have two, and at any, any given time, they may be here. And then a few months from now, we'll have three. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's fun, though. It's the life of the next phase of blended family life. Here you go. Yeah, but you had a good point the other day. You said, oh, the fun part of being a grandparent is you get to send them home. Well, we haven't hit that part yet. <laughs> 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 yeah, I did say that, didn't I? <laughs> As Kay would say, they're homeless. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure they've got to be probably more excited about moving out than we are. Um, I know your son is. <laughs> yeah. I I can't imagine. Like I had to I had to move back in with my parents for a couple of weeks or so. Um, years and years and years ago when we were building a house and even this two weeks, I was like going bonkers, ready to get out of there. So I can't imagine, you know, he's been they've been here for months. Well, let's see. I moved back in with my dad while I was pregnant and my house was being built. And I was there, uh, I think, right at six months. And I loved it because I yeah. love my daddy. And I would— You loved it. He was ready for you to go. No, he wasn't. <laughs> Your sister was. <laughs> she. I don't think she was there at the time. I think that's the one time she had moved out. What? Yeah, I know. Shocker. Yeah, but no, I loved it because I got to hang out with my daddy. I would get up early to go hang out with my daddy. Mm, okay. Yeah. But nobody's getting up early to hang out with me. <laughs> no, nobody wants to hang out with you, David. I'm kidding. Don't pout. Oh, you got the cutest little pouty face. Can y'all, can y'all hear my lip poke out? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll keep this short because everybody's wide open, as David would say. Our guest today is Nick Rothwell. He's a stepdad to three stepsons and has no bio kids of his own. And y'all, he loves these kids. He also realized in the beginning that he wasn't doing things right. Hmm. But then he fixed it. And now it's good. A good deal. Yep. But before we get to listening, we do want to say we are going to offer a crazy Christmas special. Is it a Christmas special or is it a Lori happy birthday special? Well, it's not a Lori happy birthday special because it's going to be after my birthday, but -hmm. we can still call it that. Okay. It's going to be a happy birthday Lori slash Christmas slash New Year's. (laughs) Let's get it all in there. We might as well include Valentine's Day. So are you you ready to announce it or are you just giving us a teaser? No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Okay. We'll tell you next week. 
Okay. So we will announce it on our next episode. And it is not only a limited time special, it's a limited number. Mm. And that's all I'm saying. Mm. All right. All right, then. Let's get to listening. Today, we have Nick Rothwell. Hey, Nick, how are you? I'm really good, Lori. How are you? Good. So tell us a little bit about your blended situation. Yeah, I'd love to. I'm married to this amazing woman who I met oh, three and a half years, coming up to four years ago. And she has three boys, ages 14, 11, and seven now. And we recently got married and moved our family from London to the Czech Republic, where my wife is from, in order to give these these young men a, a, a better opportunity at life. Raising kids in East London in the United Kingdom is pretty challenging. I know raising boys now I'm figuring out is pretty challenging anyway, but we really did think that it was going to be best to to give the kids more resources and also the love of their grandparents. So we decided to move back and we've been here for just over two months. Okay. You don't have a British accent. I do not. I'm from Canada originally. I um, I immigrated. My mom and dad are from the UK and um, they immigrated to Canada in 1967 when uh, parts of Canada were looking for teachers. And my dad was a teacher and he had thought that, you know, taking the kids out of all, well, taking his, my, my oldest sister was two at the time. And then my mom out of a coal mining village in South Yorkshire to a very small town in the middle of Saskatchewan, just above North Dakota, uh, would be better than raising a family in a coal mining town. And uh, it was pretty interesting, Lori, growing up in Canada, because I was born there with my other sister and there was just the five of us. We had no uncles, no aunties, no grandparents. It was just the five of us. And, um, you know, my dad was doing, my mom and dad did the best they could with the tools that they had. Mm -hmm. But the things that I learned about being a dad from my father, who was a disciplinarian, were not necessarily the best tools because he didn't have the best tools. So yeah, growing up in Canada, and then I had a chance to move to, to England to play professional ice hockey in, uh, in the early 90s. So that's how I ended up in the UK. Okay. Now I am curious, you mentioned about raising kids in London. And you said that it's difficult. What are some of the challenges you think in London that make it more difficult to raise children there? There's a lot of cultural challenges around youth, youth culture, particularly gang culture is glamorized a lot, especially like in Netflix shows like Hot Boy. Um, there's a very, they call them roadmen. It's a real gang culture influenced by, yeah, just influenced by certain gangs. So it's, um, and my oldest, you know, he, they had challenges with their biological father. He was probably exposed to to more things that he should have been. He, well, he was exposed to things that no kid should be exposed to. So he had very low self esteem, and uh, and it was the the idea that he he was looking for things to fit into. So he's kind of looked in the wrong areas to try to feel like to, to for a belonging mm -hmm. for for a tribe, I guess. So we were concerned about you know the influence of gang culture on our oldest, and we just didn't want that to manifest to the other two. And those are the challenges of London. Plus also, I mean, the Scott cost of living in that city is absolutely ridiculous. I and mean, it's easy. I was a single guy living in a very cool part of town until I went and met my wife. And, and it was okay for uh, for me to manage. But when you have, you know, three boys, you know, in, in London, it's it's pretty expensive. So um, those were, that's why, you know, we decided London was a little bit too challenging at the moment. And, and we just, you know, we had this opportunity. So we took it. Yeah, I went to London, golly, it's probably been 20 years ago now, maybe even a little bit longer. And I actually felt safer there than I do a lot of places in America, mainly because mm -hmm. everywhere you look, there was a camera. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gangs just like anywhere. And the violence is just like anywhere else, except they, they don't have the exposure to firearms as much as they do in North America, well, particularly the United States. But knife culture is really big. And, and, and in a way, Lori, I'm sure you're aware, you know, you, you can walk around with knives and they don't make any noise mm -hmm. and easy to conceal. So knife, knife crime is, is pretty big in, in London. It, it, and, but I'm not, I don't want to be mean to London. It's, it's, it's a place where I've always felt like home. Right. 
I think, and it's a place that we're still connected to. So, um, you know, it is a great city. And I guess it's like anywhere else in the world. You have good places and bad places. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to know where not to go. Yeah. I remember the first time I went to New York City, my uncle, he would go to New York a lot and he would say, stay east of this street. Don't go west. Mm -hmm. Stay east of this street. And apparently I'm directionally challenged because sure enough, I ended up in like the red light district. (laughs) (laughs) So that was interesting to say the least. Yeah. So you don't have any kids of your own, correct? That's correct. I, um, I don't have any biological kids. I, you know, my life trajectory when it was, um, like, I, I suppose I'll go from the beginning, if you don't mind, is that, you know, like I, I mentioned what it was like growing up with just my mom and my dad and my sisters. My my dad, you know, I, I he did the best that he could with his tools that he had, as I, as I mentioned. He was also an alcoholic. And when he drank, he became very scary. And he was violent towards my mom and my two sisters. And I would get or the strap I wouldn't get the the beatings that, that my mom and my sisters got but I saw it so inside of me was a very scared child and when you're scared what I've known through my journey is that you develop defense mechanisms so I would steal and and they taught me stealing was right was wrong but every time I went to the corner shop Lori I would come up with extra candy in my pocket or if I went over to your house and you had a cool toy I would I would steal it and I would tell my mom I found it in the back alley Oh, and they wow. would say things when I got, yeah, they would say things when I got caught, like, oh, you know, he's just fibbing and he'll grow out of it. But really, I was just protecting myself. And I learned how to lie. And and, and through the lies, I became a, a, a great manipulator and an amazing charmer. So I started to charm my way through life. And I grew into an athletic body. So I, be, I used sport as a way to get my dad's approval. And it kept me out of the house. And it got the attention of girls. And, um, and by the time I was 18 years old, you know, I was a very charming 18 year old and I, I decided to move to England and, uh, play a hockey, ice hockey. And I got a lot of things very fast, a huge amount of success really because I could charm my way in, in, in into situations and also out of bad situations. And, you know, I bought my first house when I was 18 because I got a job by lying. It was a job at an ice rink where someone said, can you drive the Zamboni? And I said, of course, I'm Canadian. <laughs> and I didn't know where I didn't know where the key went in the ignition. But I, I got this job saying that I could do something that I couldn't. And, uh, and then I went and applied for a mortgage and the mortgage broker was a pretty blonde lady. And I took her out on a date and I got approved for a mortgage. So I got a lot of things, as I mentioned, through manipulation and charm. And I, I ended up going through university and I was studying English literature and history. And I charmed my, my university lecturers because I was playing professional ice hockey too. So I could get away with things. I could have my, my essays delayed and my deadlines pushed back. And, and then there's a major sports channel over here called sky sports. And they started covering British ice hockey. And I remember I phoned the producer of the show and this is when you could actually get through switchboards mm-hmm. and i i said my name is nick rothwell i'm playing hockey for the guilford flames i'm doing a media class at university can i come and watch you make a show now that was a lie because i was doing english literature and history mm-hmm. but it got my foot in the door at one of the biggest sports broadcasters in the world and i ended up with a job on tv as a tv presenter and then i started my own production company and then i started dating pretty actresses and hanging out in the nightclubs in Soho. And I bought a Porsche and I shopped on Savile Row where James Bond gets his suits. Oh, and I had all this stuff. Yeah. But I felt like a fraud and an imposter and that I didn't deserve any of it. So I had this huge feeling. It's gaping feeling in me. But then in these nightclubs, someone introduced me to a line of cocaine and a martini because I never drank or did drugs because I didn't want to be like my dad. But from, from the age of 28 and a half to 30, I, I, alcoholism got me and I lost all that material stuff. And I began this, these journeys of, of just disconnection and isolation. I moved to LA. I moved back to Canada. I moved back to England. I moved back to Canada. When anything bad happened, I would take a drink because it would solve all my problems. And, um, and I just became more and more isolated. So I never had a chance to form a relationship with anyone deep enough to have children of my own. And, um, 
And when the opportunity did come, I, I was living back in Canada. I was 42 years old and, and I was with this woman and she fell pregnant. And I was so happy I was going to be a dad at 42. And she ended up having a miscarriage. And um, like a good alcoholic, I dragged myself into oblivion. I got arrested for drink driving again. And I got sent to jail. Not just a drunk tank, but jail, jail, a penitentiary in southern Ontario in Canada with murders and rapists and drug dealers thinking, how the heck did I get here? Oh, wow. But alcoholism had its grip on me. And and I had no ability to say, help me to anybody until I found myself dying of alcoholism at, at 45 years old when I, I did finally mutter those two words, help me um, to somebody. You see, because of those tools that my dad gave me, Lori, those tools sounded like this. Real men don't ask for help. Real men don't cry. Real men never show weakness. Now, we truly believe that. But at 30 years old, I knew I needed help. But I just didn't have the language or the emotional capacity to be able to ask for help. And this is just something I've learned along, uh, you know, on my journey. That Anyway, that was a very, very long answer to why I didn't oh, have kids in my own. Well, no, I'm glad that you told us all that. First of all, I want to say I'm so sorry that you grew up in a home like that because my parents weren't alcoholics, but my sister was. And I saw how much that affected everybody, not just her. And I remember I was going to move in with her when I graduated high school, and I decided not to. And she asked me one day, she said, why did you decide not to move in with me? I said, because I was afraid that I would pass you on the road and you would be drunk and hit me head on. And thankfully, she did get better. But she, um, it, it took a long time and a lot of hurt. And so I know how that can affect you as a child, having parents that are either negative or, like you said, boys don't cry, boys are tough, they don't ask for help. And things like that. And it does impact us as we get older. It does, yeah. How old are you now? 52. Well, I know our listeners can't see you, but you look great for 52. Well, thank you very much. Either you have a really good Zoom filter on or something. I don't see wrinkles. No, No filter. Especially considering the alcoholism, because that usually ages people. Well, I, I drank enough in, in 15 years to, you know, for, for anybody, I, I don't, you know, I, I have been sober for seven and a half years and I do my best to look after myself, but it's funny that my wife, we laugh. She said that I, she says, I look younger and better since, um, since we met, <laughs> which is, you know, like I said, four years ago, three and a half, four years ago. And, and I, I, I think maybe it's just the, the youthfulness of having three stepsons. I'll put it down to that. <laughs> Whereas mine's the opposite. Mine is the aging of having four stepsons. <laughs> so you've had the great effects of it. Yeah. Now, so I guess being your age, you don't want to have kids of your own now. We've, we've talked about it. And, uh, you know, my wife is 14 years younger than me. She, she could, and she's, she's a very healthy woman. She could do it. We've mm-hmm. talked about it. But the thing is, is that we, we met at a time when their biological father was allowed to see them on the weekends. So mine and Danny's relationship for six months was was on the weekends and it was extremely romantic and a lot of handholding and no stress. And just, we would see each other Fridays and Saturdays. And it was really, really the most romantic time of my life. Like we fell in love. And then an incident happened between their biological father and their eldest where police became involved. And he was not no longer allowed to see them. So our relationship really quickly changed yes. to the fact that, uh, um, you know, she had to become a, you know, she had the kids seven days a week. And then we had to figure out a way where I was going to be slowly introduced to them, which we did. And I'll tell you all about it. And, um, but in all of this, we were like, would we want to have our own child? And, and we keep saying, would it would be nice to have a little girl for the boys? And we keep saying they'd love to have a little sister. And, um, and, Part of me would, I mean, we would make a, a beautiful baby. There's just no question about it. Mm-hmm. But I just also really want to enjoy her. And, uh, you know, the youngest is seven. So we're thinking, you know, another 10 years and I'll be, I'll be in my early 60s. 
when we'll be in a place where we can kind of rekindle, not rekindle, but it would be that next stage where we can remember what it was like to have all those romantic nights out, which we have just haven't been able to do, um, you know, since we became a family. It just hasn't been, we haven't had the luxuries, of, especially in London, where it was just us as a family. We didn't have the grandparents that we do now to be able to say, hey, can somebody babysit the kids? Right. And uh, we did try a couple of, couple of babysitting sessions and they went well. But uh, again, just the kind of, for me, it was more me. I, I started to really miss the kids. I'm like, oh, we've got to go now because the kids are not, they're not going to be able to cope without us, <laughs> which is something I'm learning isn't true. But I, and again, some of the challenges, I'm, I'm happy to speak about some of the challenges of trying to control situations that you can't control. Mm-hmm. But yeah, again, once again, sorry, Lori, I give long answers to questions. But no, I like your we, long answers. We, <laughs> if we thought about having our own, but, and if it happens, it happens, but we won't plan on it. Right. Yeah. Also, I'm sure that you've at least know some family that similar to yours where you get married, you have no kids, and then you have an hours kid. And it can change the dynamic in the blend greatly, whereas now you have a good relationship with the stepkids, and all of a sudden, here comes sweet baby girl. They're like, oh, y'all pay her all the attention. We don't get any. I mean, it can cause issues. I bet it can, but I have to give credit to these young men. Um, They are, there is drama, don't get me wrong, and there's challenges. But when I, like the way I have been, say, with their youngest, the younger brother, uh, the seven-year-old, I met him when he was four. And because he was four, uh, his, and his father was very absent. So he didn't really have a connection to a, to a male figure. And he, he physically bonded with me because, you know, you can hold hands with a, a, a seven-year-old and he would sit next to me watching movies. So we had this kind of connection. And the other two recognize that. You know, but they don't go, they get very, they would never say you love Zach more than us. Mm-hmm. They, they, but they recognize it that we have this connection. And I, and maybe it's something I'm trying to really be conscious of is to look for if there are, if there is jealousy if, or anything, but they really do hold themselves well. I'm very impressed with the, the, the two older ones, how they, they've almost allowed it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, let's give Zach this chance that we didn't have. So, which is how I feel about that's how I that's the the kind of the energy that I recognize from it. There's no jealousy with the, with the other two, so maybe you know a little girl would coming along. <laughs> they love they love little kids. They're yeah. such nurturing young men. My wife's friend has a little baby, and and when uh, it's she's she's I think not even two, and they met her when she was just born, and they were like queuing up, lining up. Sorry, mm-hmm. queuing is very British. <laughs> they were lining up very politely with our arms folded, waiting to hold this little baby. So who knows? Yeah. Well, and we have seen the good of adding an hours kid to the blend as well. You know, you see both sides. And we joke that our dog, we call her our doctor because we only have sons, that she helped us to blend because she was the one thing that wasn't his, wasn't mine, it was ours, and we all loved her. Yeah. So it helped us create a bond. And I'm loving your story, especially how much I can see that you love these kids. And yes, you've got a different bond with the youngest, but it's not intentional. It's not like you're excluding the older ones. You can't help who you bond with. No, you, you can't. And 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 as individuals, I have I do have a different relationship with all of them, but. Yeah. You know, I, as I said, it's, it is just a, a little bit more, yeah, you can, you, you know, little Zach, he, he'll just crawl all over me. You know, he just, he's a, ta- he's a, ta- he's a, like my shadow. Mm-hmm. So it, it is quite beautiful. How long ago? Well, they don't see their dad, right? They just have phone calls now that has started a court mandated phone calls, which started uh, just before we, we, uh, just before we left. So there was a big court case that, that came up about um, visitation, well, a contact, supervised contact, et cetera. So we had to fight for the right to move countries because in the UK, there's, there's very, it's very archaic. Well, I don't say it's archaic. The laws are set up in a way where perpetrators of violence still have a say in the child's life, even though he has a criminal conviction. 
he still has parental rights. So if he was withholding uh, his the, the right for us to move countries, it was obvious it was for the betterment of the kids. And, and uh, so there was a big two-year court case where he wasn't allowed to see them or, or even talk to them. And then in that court case, he was allowed to have supervised contact before we left. But then also now he has weekly phone calls with them. Could you see a change in them when all of a sudden their dad is absent? I honestly feel, knowing the history of, of, of their relationship, they never really felt like they had a dad. He's a very troubled man, what, what you would consider a narcissistic course of controlling individual. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to figure out somehow through compassion the, the roots of his trauma, but maybe I just don't have the capacity to do that yet. I'm not sure. I think they were always scared of him. You know, and I think maybe in the fact that I was scared of my dad, we bonded over that. The fact, so, so I think it was easier for them to see me coming along. Like when every time, like as we, as I was introduced, it was very, there's never been any pushback from, you know, I think the oldest once said, you're not my dad, Mm -hmm. you know, once when we were having a a pretty heated argument about something, I remember what, but he's like, you're not my dad. And I, and maybe this happened once or twice, but other than that, you know, Laura, I've been extremely fortunate that these men were in a young men were in a place where they were ready to receive, you know, some another man in their life. Is their dad still in London? He lives in London, yeah. And, and uh, like I say, they have a weekly phone call with uh, with him. And um, I think that it, nothing happens. It's just something they're like, "Do we have to do it?" Like, yeah, you should do it. You know, guys, it's he's your father. Yeah, regardless and, of anything else, he's your dad. Yeah. Yeah. And just give him the time, tell him how you're doing at school. And, and I, 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 I'm not allowed to be in the room and neither is my wife, mm-hmm. but we just were like, why don't you can tell you, you can tell him this. We try to give them some things that maybe to spur on uh, a conversation. Right. He's not the greatest conversationalist. And like I say, it's always about him anyway, Yeah, but we try, we try it. And, and I, I'm, I'm not sure how it's going to go. We have offered for him to be able to fly over to, for, he's allowed to fly over here four times a year. Um, so we put a few dates out for him and whether he accepts them and does them, that's up to him. Right. Um, so that's that situation. You know, a lot of kids, when there is an absent parent, it makes them angry and bitter. And then a lot of kids are basically glad they don't have that contact because it was a negative interaction or a, just not a good relationship, I guess you could say. But there's no fear of him making y'all move back or anything like that, correct? No, uh, there's there's no fear like that. I think that the there's yeah there's and it's something that uh, every week that goes by we realize that the, the it's not that the boy see this is something that my wife is a is a really smart lady. She's a teacher, and um, and she understands the biology of, or the or the kids know biology. They know that they're half him. Mm-hmm. So we don't speak badly of him because we don't want them to know that they're, you know, that they don't, we don't want them to ever grow up thinking that they're, you know, that they're in any way bad, you know, and I know that people might question that, but you know how some people can use that. He's a bad person right. thing. And then a child will think, well, if he's bad, then I must be bad too, because I'm half of him. Right. So we, we don't ever use any, any negative language about him. So we don't want them to ever feel, you know, we want them to be able to grow into them themselves as individuals, but kids are smart. Mm-hmm. And I think that they, they, there has been some comments about, well, that's just like my dad, or I don't want to be by like my dad, or my dad is lazy. And, and I think it's just, we have to navigate through that in a compassionate way, because at the end of the day, I want these boys to grow up feeling worthy and feeling like they they are themselves compassionate and vulnerable and, and, and beautiful human beings. Like we, and we use the word gentleman mm-hmm. in our family and not like a gentleman, like a, a, you know, an English gentleman, but a gentle man. We break it into two words. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just what we're trying to foster. So we realize, you know, I, there's no way we want to alienate them from their biological father. We just have to ma- we just have to make sure that it's always safe for them, and and I think we've done that pretty well. So, when y'all got married, mm-hmm. did things change with your relationship with the kids? Because we often see 
when there is a big life event, whether it's you've been living together for 10 years, then all of a sudden you get married. It's like a reset to that blend. Did you notice anything like that? They just were like, we're family now, you know, and we can call you dad now. Those were the things that, that, um, that the, the marriage brought about is they, like, I think that there's always this fear like, you know, is Nick going to stick around? You know, is Nick going to always be here? Yeah. And when I'm, I married their mother, then they're like, oh, okay, they, we're family now. So if you were to ask the, the, particularly the young two about their, their values and you're trying to, to let them understand what values are, but what, what the things are that are important in their life, it always comes up the, the most important word for them now is family. And that just touches my heart so much. In fact, it was in my wedding speech and I gave the boys cufflinks, I, you know, the cufflinks that I had made for myself and they had, I had family engraved on them in the date of our, of our wedding, which was the 1st of June. And, um, and I gave the boys uh, these cufflinks as a, as a gift uh, with family written on it. So I think that they're starting to understand that we are a family. And I think the wedding really, really helped. It was a beautiful, small little wedding in, in central London and in, in Soho. And we had uh, uh, maybe 30 people there. But the boys were happy. You could sense that they were not uh, resentful at all, uh, that I wasn't taking their mom away from them. But it wasn't like something was being taken. It was like they were becoming part of something. Right. I hope you know how blessed you are. Every day I count my blessings. My, I'm so grateful. There are so many people that never get close to what you have with these kids. Even after 20 years, they don't have that. And it warms my heart. Some of the stuff you're saying, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's precious. That's so sweet. And this is great for the kids and you and your wife. And it's like y'all really have created a family in this blend. I know we consider ourselves a family with our stepkids, but it's different. It's different than what you're talking about because their mom is involved. We do have that other side, I guess you would say, that mm -hmm. um, makes things a little more challenging. And the kids were a little bit older and they weren't as receptive to having someone come in their life. So I'm I'm just in awe. I'm just like I picture y'all as this happy little family doing the little Christmas cards, and everybody wearing the same pajamas. <laughs> oh, they, yeah, we get the boys all the same. They all have minions, little minions pajamas last year. It, but you, Lori, it is has been. I think the reason why I can speak the way I speak is because these are three young men who were ready. You know, it wasn't like we had to do work. It was because of the circumstances before. You know, they were seeing fam like families come and pick kids up at school and there was always a mother and there was always a father and there never was that with them. You know, so even though they had a biological father, he was never, ever really present. And um, so I think that they were ready to have something and they were just at that age. You know, the oldest was 12. Elias was so Eunice was 12. Elias was eight and Zach was four. Um, so they were all at, like, just at that little age where where they would be receptive to it. But it has been extremely challenging also because you see how they they speak to their mother the way that their their father did. They oh. don't so much anymore. But when we first met, so should I tell you the story how we met? Yes. So after the incident happened and she said, How should we introduce each of you to the kids? Well, I I play I played professional ice hockey. And she's from the Czech Republic. So she had the, the, the two oldest ones in ice hockey. So I said, well, why don't we, I'll get some sticks and I'll get some goals and I'll get those orange street balls and we'll take them to this tennis court around the corner from their house. And I said, I'll meet you there. And you can introduce me as Nick, the ice hockey coach, and you're coming from some extra lessons. <laughs> so we set up some goals. I, I cut the sticks down for them. You know, we got them all measured out and I taped the sticks up and showed them how to do everything. And and we, at the end of the, 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 we had a little game and I had some presents, some, some prizes. If they, if they scored, they, which of course they did, and they got these hats and they were so happy, you know, and they, they actually went to their dad that weekend and uh, they were allowed to see them then. Mm -hmm. And um, they showed him these, these hats and he, he told them that they, they weren't allowed to wear them. <sighs> 
So, and, and they weren't allowed to talk to me again. And then the incident happened. And then um, I kept up with the coaching because he wasn't allowed to see them. Right. And then they were like, Nick, or they said to the mom, can Nick come over for pizza? And then I came over for pizza. And then it was like, can you date Nick? <laughs> can Nick be our dad? You know, this was coming from them. Wow. Even, even the oldest. So, so it was really easy that they got to see me not as their mom's partner, but as an ice hockey guy. Right. They love yeah. to be around them enough to where they're like, hey, mom, you should date him. Exactly. And so it was kind of led by them. Now, the problem, as I mentioned, is that where I, I'll, all I knew about being a dad is what my dad taught me, right. which is discipline, which is don't speak certain ways to, to elders and to your mother. Mm -hmm. So when they, all they knew was how to order their mother around, like their, their father used to do, which was, he would just be like, get this, do this, clean this, you know, mm -hmm. she wasn't allowed to, she was, it was horrible for her. Yeah. And, um, like she wasn't allowed to answer the door to the mailman or to go get her haircut. She, he had to go with her all the time. Oh, he, wow. And, uh, he was a real, real piece of work. And, um, and so when they spoke to their mother a certain way, I immediately started to correct them. Don't talk to your mom like that. Mm -hmm. Not in a loving, compassionate way, even though I'm loving and compassionate, but the way my dad taught me, because mm -hmm. that's all I knew. It was reactive. Right. So, Lori, it would make me feel so anxious when they would do things and, and, and I, I couldn't pee. I, I would, my, I got so tight, tightened up. I couldn't urinate if I went to the house. And really? I even, I, yeah, I got so upset with the, with when, you know, as the relationship developed. And I even said to my, I got engaged to Danny on my 50th birthday. And I was like, you know, Danny, I, a couple of months after that, I was like, Danny, I don't know if I can do this. And I tell this story. It was like, you, you're, are you old enough to remember Baywatch? Yes, you know, I David am. Hasselhoff? <laughs> okay. So imagine David Hasselhoff on a beach and there's this woman and three kids out in the choppy water. And he says, Hey, everybody, watch me go save them. And it just starts swimming out. Mm -hmm. He looks back at the beach. He says, Hey, everybody, are you watching me save them? And he gets out there and, and, and this is me getting out to her saying, I'm here to save you. And yeah. she goes, dude, I'm a mermaid. And these are little mermen. We're used to this. But you better get back to shore because you're going to drown out here. Yeah. And that's what Danny said to me. She said, Nick, you need to take some time because you can, you know, if, 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 if I would have said yes to you anytime if you asked me to marry me, maybe it happened too quick. So remember when I said that I said, help me at 45 years old? Right. I actually, now I'm four years, I was four years sober at the time. And I was like, you know, I'm going to ask for help. And I reached out and I asked for help. And I, I took myself away somewhere where I could write and meditate and pray. Yeah, I'm not a religious man. When I say pray, I mean, in a meditative, you know, that, that kind of way. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I was on a, I, I went into some water, a piece of water that was open. And, and I, I just, it was like, I was, my mom has passed. But I remember saying mama, and I never said mama to my mama. She was always mom or mummy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, mama, help me. I'm sitting in this water. Help me. Please help me. And tears started to stream from my eyes. And these little fish came up around me, and they were kind of poking up their heads over the water. going, what's, what's up with you? Mm -hmm. And I was crying, Lori, and crying. And I was like, help me, help me. And I just remember my body. It felt like I was starting to shiver and shed, like mm -hmm. just shed. And this, I cut my tears just turned my smile into a smile. And I was just like, everything's going to be okay. And I got back to shore and I went back to hockey practice where I was coaching these kids. And it was different. Just, it clicked. Nick, you're not here to save them. They're here to teach you and help you heal. Right. Yes. Okay. So that was my, my lesson into self-will. Don't be a hero. You're not here to save anybody, mm -hmm. but there's a reason why people find each other. I'm, I'm pretty sure of it nowadays in my life. There's no accidents. And I met these kids for a reason. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, that, and that's my story. I'm so glad that you realized that. And a lot of step parents, especially stepmoms, they do come in and 
feel like I need to save them. I need to save these kids from not having structure in the home. I need to save these kids from not having chores or responsibilities that will teach them things that they need when they get older. I need to save all the stuff. And we actually, a friend of mine calls them Captain Save a Kid. She said, you come in and you're like, Captain Save a Kid. But like you said, the majority of them don't need a saving. And I can see where a few maybe do, but the majority of them don't. They need you to love them, give them grace and compassion, and be there for them like a mentor, not the disciplinarian. That's right. I, I, I agree with you completely. They just need to know that they're loved and that they're safe. Right. And I have, I have um, hand on heart, I've veered from that, that safe spot, especially with the oldest one. I have raised my voice. You know, I have gotten to that, that way of my dad yelling and, 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 and showing fear, you know, mm-hmm. but this is the thing, Lori, is that I've, I've been able to pull that once that's happened, been able to go to him and say, I'm sorry. Yes. And I've been able to go to all of them when I have done something that I, I, I feel is incorrect. Mm-hmm. I've gone to them and I said, I've said exactly like this. It was Eunice, Elias, or Zachary. I said, I'm sorry I did that. I was wrong to have done it. How can I fix it? Mm-hmm. How can we make sure that this doesn't happen again? Or if it does happen, we can change our language around it. And I just admit my, I, it's not a fault. I admit I'm wrong. And I tell them I'm trying. Um, and then I'm going to learn from this. And in that, now the middle one, he had had some challenge. He, when he was in, in Danny's womb is when the father was the most aggressive to her. So I think he had some inter-womb trauma. Oh, wow. And, um, and he had some learning and, and speech challenges. And he grew through them. And when we met, he wouldn't really do eye contact with me. And it was in this moment, there was a thing where I raised my voice and it, it, I raised it where he, he shed a tear. Oh, wow. And I, and I was like, whoa. And I went to him and I said, and it was when I said, I'm sorry, Elias, I was wrong to have raised my voice. He, he brought his eyes from his bed and he looked up at me and they, my, our eyes locked. And he was like staring at me and almost being this inquisitive look like, you just said sorry? Right. And you apologized to me. That, yeah. Yeah. He, you know, you didn't blame me for, for you yelling, which is what would happen is they would always get blamed for being hit and being yelled at. Yeah. And in that moment, Lori, we formed this bond and our connection where this child now is thriving. You know, he is caught up in all of his academics. We've moved country where there's another language. He's actually trying to speak Czech to people. We've only been here for two months. Wow. He's gone and found a new sport, basketball, where he's joined a team. He's played six basketball games already. He practices three times a week. You know, he's he's just evolved so well in, into and, and I'm not saying it's because of, of me apologizing to him, but I'm showing you the power of connection through vulnerability and through humility. Yes. And when I showed humility, there was power there that made this connection and this bond that we're, we're building upon now. I know as a parent and as a step parent, it's important that you can apologize to your kids. I've went to my son before and said, Jackson, I'm so sorry. I've had a rough day. I reacted inappropriately. Not because of you. It's because of everything else that happened. And I'm sorry. And I've went to my stepkids and said, I'm sorry. And it changes their view of you from you're the evil stepmom to wait a minute. You're just a person that you make mistakes too. And it helps them to understand the importance of apologizing when they do something. If you're around someone If you grew up and your dad never apologized, your mom never apologized, you were never around anybody that apologized, you may find it awkward when somebody apologizes. But the kids that see that stuff, they're more compassionate, maybe, is the word I guess I'm looking for. They realize that people aren't perfect. 
and that it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to admit those mistakes and to move forward. I, I, I agree. It's teaching, it's, it's teaching them about, uh, you know, how to express emotions and how to, you know, when saying sorry is, it's just like I say, it's humility is, it, you know, none of us are perfect. And, and it was something that it's very hard for them because, you know, they, 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 we are building up self-esteem, mm-hmm. but for years they were told they were not very good, you know, and they were always blamed for, like I say, like if there was something physical, it's like, you made me hit you. You know, that was what they heard. So it's like, well, how can someone make someone hit somebody? And, or you made me angry. And what we try to do now, and this is again, coming from their biological father is we're trying to, I'm trying to help them reframe it, that nobody makes anybody angry, angry, angry is your emotion. And I'm trying to teach them about where emotions come from. And it's okay to feel angry, but it isn't the person that made you angry. Maybe it's the thing that happened in between, but also, you know, anger being, you know, rooted in pain. Right. And we have, we have anger because it's an emotion that we were given in our human evolutionary terms. Anger is there mainly to protect us because mm-hmm. we feel pain somewhere. Right. And, um, and this is the, the, what I'm trying to reframe around them is this idea of emotions and being able to feel things, but not blaming other people. Yes. For the way we feel. And then we can own our emotions and it's okay to cry. Right. It's okay to feel angry and it's okay to feel frustration. And I'm not even saying the way they react is not okay. That's what we, how we learn. Sometimes they'll react by breaking something, but then it's broken, mm-hmm. you know, and then we're not going to replace it. So let's think about the next time we're angry. How are we going to, how are we going to process our emotions rather than breaking something? Right. But Lori, this is the thing now. This is the one, this is the kicker is this takes time. You yes. know, I'm only in this about three years and we're just creating a language. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just starting to get on a, on a frequency of communication. It's taken that long you know, where now we can build on it. But if anybody is, I'm sure there are people who've been around longer than me as a step parent, but, and they know a lot more than I do, but if anyone's new to this, just be kind to yourself. You know, this is a process. It takes time and that children will not, I've, in my experience, but they don't really listen by me telling them they, 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 or sorry, learn by me telling they learn by my actions. Yes. And it's small little actions at a time. And it, it, it's like little things that put into place. Nothing is just done overnight. Right. So be kind to yourself and be patient. You know, a lot of stepmoms will say something to the effect of the stepkid doesn't want anything to do with me. They do things intentionally to annoy me. And most of the time, it's not them. It's either what they represent or it's something entirely different. The kid might be just aggravated that they're going between two houses. That's stressful. It's like living between a hotel and a house back and forth. And a lot of stepmoms will say, well, bio mom bad mouths me. She's always talking bad about me to the kids. What do I do? And I... My response is, be you. The kids will see in your actions that you're not this horrible person. And I know there were some things that we went through as a blend. And I remember my stepsister messaged me one day. She said, I'm so sorry. And I was like, for what? She said, I let other people's opinions of you create my opinion of you. And she said, after getting to know you, she said, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. You're not like that at all. But you've got people pouring that negative, and she didn't have the opportunity to know me, so she just went with that, you know. And a lot of times we don't realize how much our behavior impacts those kids. You are setting a great example for dads in general and stepdads Because you realize what wasn't working. You realize what you didn't need to do in this. And you also understood that it takes time. And too many people rush this stuff. They're like, well, we've been dating for five years, but you didn't date the kids. You dated their parent. And the kids have to learn to trust you. It's not a given. What would you say is your biggest challenge in the blend? Hmm. Me, 
I'm the biggest challenge. <laughs> unlearning, unlearning what I what what I learned from my dad, mm-hmm. and also if something happens and I'm bothered, if if I become angry or agitated by something the boys are doing, boys are doing what boys do. Mm-hmm. Playing with things, they're breaking with things, they're touching things, they're eating things. They, you know, they're just doing things that I did. They're running, they're loud, they scream. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let them do them because that's how they're learning. If what they're doing is 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 at making me feel agitated, it's a reflection on where I am. So, if if, so, if I'm quick to temper, I know right away this is something. It, this is about me. It has nothing to do with them. Mm-hmm. So I'm my biggest challenge. And I know I have protocols or ways of making sure that I'm balanced in my life. And if I'm not doing those things, then I'm, I will be quick to agitate. My emotions will be off. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Lori, I'm, I'm seven and a half years sober. I work very hard at a recovery program. I, I do try to meditate. I do try to eat well. I do try to, to, to do the things, the little things that I, I can do. I mean, like the seven-year-old jumped into and this is all my fault. We were, we were watching a, a, uh, a Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Temple of Doom, toward at the one at the end of bed, like at bedtime. But it was a cuddle moment in our bed. And it was all, it was me and two of the boys. And we were cuddling and we were watching it. And they're like, this is scary. And I was like, this isn't scary. I was like, this is scary. And I showed them, I showed them a, a, a picture of a, um, of a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And in that like and we were just laughing and joking around but i was like oh well, i hope i didn't scare him too much but lo and behold zacharia came to us at 11 o'clock and he's like i, I need to uh, i need to sleep with you guys and i was like to danny i was like you know it's my fault it's my fault but he, we, we we he slept in the middle of us and i ended up i ended up carrying him to his bed when he fell asleep but I don't have the, what I'm saying, getting to the point is that I don't have the time or the place that I used to before I, I got married and before I got involved with these these boys to be able to have five minutes before I go to bed to meditate, mm-hmm. you know, to, and, and when I say meditate, I, I don't hug tr- trees or light candles or anything like that. It's just literally quiet contemplation where I review the day right? and I review where I have been selfish or I dishonest or afraid and what I could have done better and, and was I thinking of myself or was I thinking about other people? And I have this little tick list. And then I just, I ask the universe, just, Hey universe, give me some corrective measures and, and help me try to be a better man, mold me. And I just try to do the same thing in the morning, but it's just the time, you know, when you have kids jumping in your bed or, 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 or wanting things early in the morning, it's hard. And I find that when I don't have that time, then I do, I'm quicker to anger, which again, it's a reflection on me and my, and my, where I am in my balanced state. So I, I do recommend to people is to find some protocols that, that work for you that are based around self-care. Uh, I used to self think that self-care was selfish. What I, you know, especially this kind of the rugged tough man stuff, you know, which mm-hmm. is, I think is BS, you know, but to be, and I, and geez, I get it guys. We, it's hard. But even a minute or or two, just to be like, just to just to breathe, put your feet on the ground and just breathe. Yes, will help. And 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 in that, even like I say, it's just all about balance and and um, and trying to achieve balance. But like I say, answer your question again in a long way. I am my biggest challenge, or I am the biggest challenge. When I realized that I was the biggest part of our blended struggles, it took me a minute to realize that that was a good thing because I could change that. And you were talking about earlier about things you can't control. You can control when you're angry. You just need the tools. I'm really glad that you are doing this to help those kids. And you're, you're helping more people than that because you are talking about this on our podcast and other avenues. I appreciate the time to be able to do that. I I hope it's been helpful to somebody. It has. It's been great. And thank you so much for being a guest. And I would love to have you back at some point. And we'll do the video thing and put it on YouTube or something. That sounds wonderful. I'd love to. Tell your wife that I love the way you introduced her, the way that you talked about her. It's great. It's great to just see the love because we see so much hate and anger in the world today. And 
I see you loving these kids and loving your wife immensely, and you're happy. Well, yeah, I am. Yeah, thank you. I am happy. Yeah, and it's but you know it, it, it's not without its challenges. And I, and you've said everything. We have tools. Pick them up. Use them. Mm-hmm. Ask for help. Anybody, you know, asking for help saved my life. And then asking for help saved my relationship with these boys because I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the language. I didn't know why I couldn't be when I went over to the house because I was so anxious. But I asked for help. And I spoke with men who helped me and they guided me and I did the work. But if anybody is struggling, you know, with with asking for help is the biggest sign of strength um, and the most courageous thing you could do. Right. So where can people find you? What's your website? Is it retribe.com? Yeah, it is retribe.com, but there's a, there's a hyphen between the R the R E. So it's re hyphen tribe.com and okay. they can just go there and, and, uh, I, I'll ping you my socials and you can, you can put them on. All right. That sounds great. Well, thanks again. Okay. Thank you for having me, Lori. And thanks everybody for listening. I appreciate it. So I do have to tell y'all something that my sweet husband David did. <laughs> you have to use my name? Yeah. Or my lying husband, David. Whichever you prefer. <laughs> my sweet lying husband. <laughs> so about two months ago, I guess, you started putting stuff on the calendar for all these parties we have to go to because you're the president of Rotary, you're in the chamber, you're in this other referral group and all this stuff. And there was this party this past Friday night. And I really wasn't looking forward to it. It's, you know, rotary. Bunch of old people. (laughs) That's not true. That's not true. But it wasn't wasn't your normal rotary group. It was a leadership thing, which means that I would have known you and one other person. Yep. So I'm not really looking forward to it, but I'm going. I'm being the supportive wife. Such a good supportive wife. Yeah. Well, we get there. And, well, before we go, I notice you're not rushing. And you do not like to be late. I said, well, we're supposed to be there at 6. And you said, oh, well, it'll kind of be like a mix and mingle. So it's okay. All right. Didn't think a whole lot about it after that. Then we get there, and you're still not really rushing. Again, didn't think a whole lot about it because of what you had told me, right? Because mm-hmm. usually you want to be there 10 to 15 minutes early. You're outside blowing the horn and screaming at me. <laughs> so, you know, you had a good explanation. We walk in and you give them your last name. And I'm thinking, why is it under his last name? And the next thing I know, you're like running. I'm not running. <laughs> you're well. You're very tall, so you're walking am, fast. So that's running to me because I can't keep I'm, up. It's because we were late. We're late to the party. Yeah, I'm, I'm in a hurry. And I'm thinking, why is it in his last name? And then I'm thinking to myself, well, it's probably because he's the local one. Blah blah blah. And then we round the corner, and there's these doors that are shut, but there's a crack in the door, and I see this person that I know, and it's my old boss. I'm like, that looks like Regina. She's not in Rotary. And so I'm trying to process that. And you open the doors, and there's all these people screaming. And it was a birthday (laughs) surprise for me. (laughs) And the first person I saw was my daddy. (laughs) Oh, I'm tearing up just talking about it. Y'all, I love my daddy. I love my daddy. And it was dark outside. And he never goes out after dark. It was way past his bedtime because it start, didn't start till six. You know, old people go to bed at five. <laughs> and then I start looking at the out around the room, and I'm like, oh, and there's so-and-so, and there's so-and-so. And then my friend Danny that I grew up with, he drove from Anderson, which is like two and a half hours away. And I haven't seen him in forever. And then there were, were other people I hadn't seen in forever. And I was just so shocked and I was so blessed and um, I can't thank David enough for doing that because that was the best birthday ever. Y'all hear me smiling? He's smiling. (laughs) Yep. I am so glad 
not only that it was the best birthday ever, but that it is over. <laughs> <laughs> he said he was a nervous wreck, <laughs> trying to plan it and messaging everybody and hoping I didn't see it on his phone. Good thing I'm not a yeah, nosy but, wife. Well, not only was it, and there's a, so many things that can go wrong because you're not only dealing with the place, the venue, every single person, because it's a surprise party. And you actually talked to like four of the people <laughs> that showed up that day. And I'm like, surely one of these four is going to screw up. Yeah, I saw three of them. <laughs> right. And I'm like, this is terrible. And so like when you come back home from running your errands earlier that day, I was kind of questioning you to see if maybe you knew something. Oh, that's and, why you were saying something about, oh, you went, you were really fast with your errands and... Which I did go like twenty places in three hours. So, yeah, yeah. No, I was I was trying to figure out if you knew anything, and you know, because I didn't want I don't want to go through all this. Because if you knew, I'd be like, screw it, you know. So let's just, <laughs> you know, I don't have to try to keep up the charade. Mm -hmm. um, and then, like when we pulled into the parking lot, <laughs> uh, one of the people was walking through the parking lot that you would have definitely noticed. Danny, yeah, y yeah. And so I'm like pointing the other direction, like, oh, there's a parking spot over there. Look. And you're like, it's handicapped. I'm like, no, it might not be. Go over there and look. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, though. Now, looking back on it, though, you you see all the cues that you missed along the way. Right. Yeah, like you <laughs> but, not blowing the horn and rushing me and <laughs> you waiting till 5.45 to take a shower. Not 5.45, 4.45 to take a shower. and Yeah, but I'm telling you, all that was – um I had to think all that through because I could nothing could have gone wrong. So that was my thing. Like I got to have a contingency plan for everything, not just a plan for it, but I need to have an answer for everything you might come up with. And you did. So so when you ask me, I am not hesitating and the answer is 100% plausible. Well, it just goes to show you can lie to me, David, and I won't know. I know. I'm proud of myself. Oh, no. I'm surprised my gut didn't tell me something was wrong. And Holly said that she was telling Eddie, she said, if Lori tells me David's acting weird and she thinks he's cheating on her or something, she's like, I'm going to have to tell her. I'm just going to have to tell her. I can't let her think that. Well, I told one of the other friends, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, so like a day or two beforehand, I said, I feel like I'm cheating on Lori with all of her friends because I'm messaging all of them in secret. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, you had said that you didn't know what to get me and that I had made a comment about how I miss my friends because I live basically 45 minutes away from everybody, 30 to 45 minutes away, and nobody's going to come out here. There's nothing to come out here for. And so I'd made that comment, and you said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get all yep. her friends together and have her a little get-together. Yep. Good job, honey. Good job. Yep. And I started planning it in July. Yes. Yep. So. Yeah, and like you said, it. in hindsight, I'm thinking, that's why you were so stressed out. I thought it was work stuff, and which I'm sure <laughs> that was a combination of it, but yeah. So anyway, y'all, yeah. I got a good husband. I agree. And I appreciate you, David. <laughs> oh, thank you, darling. And one thing I have to say is... When we left, I told you, and I mean this with all my heart, that that's what I feel like heaven would be like. Mm -hmm. You know, you get to heaven and you open the pearly gates, <laughs> and there's all these people, and you're like, you're like hey, oh, hey. and there's you. And like you said, you'd be like, oh, you made it up here? <laughs> oh, wow, you made it? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't think I'd see you again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it was it was great. It was really good and I appreciate it. You're welcome. It was well worth it. It was worth everything just to to watch you and see you uh excited and beaming and it was. It was I was taking I think I had more fun than you did. I was taking it all in just watching you um enjoy it. I don't think you had more fun than me. My heart was about to explode. <laughs> and I wasn't, I mean, I was surprised for sure, but I was shocked. I'm surprised I didn't have a heart attack and died. That would have sucked, wouldn't it? 
Well, it's a good thing Facebook doesn't tell you that I'm creeping on your pages because I'm going through trying to figure out, you know, who's all these people she hasn't seen in forever, and does she still talk to them, and how can I get in touch with them? And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I spent a lot of time on it. Good husband points. Good husband points. Yep, it'll last me at least a weekend. So I'm excited to see what we did for Christmas. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That was it. I'm done. <laughs> and we have another rotary event next Friday. <laughs> and I was like, is that a real one? <laughs> yeah. And you could tell your story to that rotary. <laughs> yeah. Be like, y'all, this, this party a, stinks. <laughs> this is the second rotary I've been to. I'll <laughs> <laughs> be like, what? How come we didn't go to the first one? <laughs> but anyway, I just wanted to do a public shout out to say how awesome it was and how much I appreciate you and I appreciate my friends for showing up. Yep. I appreciate your friends for showing up, too. Because yeah. <laughs> without them, it would have fell apart. Yeah, but it didn't. So, it was perfect. Perfect. No. Well, I made them RSVP, and then I reminded them that they made a commitment to RSVP and to be there because I didn't want nobody backing out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a rough time of year to have something like this. Yeah, and that's why I don't think I've – the last time I remember having a birthday party, um, even as a child, I was 16 – Maybe my 16th birthday. Mm-hmm. Well, you tried on my f- another birthday party. I'm not going to say how old, um, <laughs> but that kind of fell apart. <laughs> yeah. I don't even, I don't even remember. I vaguely remember. It. I, I remember part of it, but we won't t- talk about that. <laughs> yeah. I made up for it. Yes, you did. <laughs> All right, folks. All right. Well, thanks for listening, folks. Be sure to join us again next week when we are going to drop the news about this special deal to the Academy. And it's going to be as much of a surprise to you as my birthday party was. Yeah, Yeah, probably so. All right. Can't wait to hear more about that. So join us again next week. And until then, remember, life life is is good. I say that, David. What are you trying to do? Take over my show? I always say life is good, and you always say when you're not Oh, yeah, you're right. See, I hadn't been here in a while, and you just <laughs> completely forget how to do things. That's because the last three or four I've done by myself. All right, do it again, David. Do it again. Remember, y'all, <laughs> life is good. When you nacho. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.